journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shalom, shalom, shavua tov. Welcome everybody to 101.9 High FM. I am Adol Kazilski and we'll be learning together. And we are starting the Pasha of Vayechi. I'm pretty excited. I hope you are too, because it's taken us about two and a half years. Can you believe it? Two and a half years. And uh, we've been learning the book of Genesis all the way from the first verse where God created heaven and earth. We have traversed the Bible and we have gone through the lives of our of humanity. And then more particularly, the lives of our forefathers and we unfortunately are coming to the end of the life of our third forefather, Jacob. Jacob has made Yerida. I'm not going to call it Aliyah, because Aliyah means to go up. Yerida means to go down. He made Yerida to Egypt because of the terrible famine. And um, we are at the point now where he has spent time with his son, uh, Yosef, and the rest of his household, and he is about to pass on. What's interesting, though, is that you will see it's going to take a little while until we get to the point of he, him actually breathing his last breath. But I'd love you to join that journey with me. As always, I love getting comments, questions, anything that's on your mind. So 34519 is our SMS line. And 061-895-1019 is, my tel- is the telegram number. So if you are following in, we are interestingly always in the middle of a chapter and and in a verse, um, the Torah is not divided up as neatly as most people think. So we're on chapter 47 and we are going to start learning verse 28. And as always to take note at this time that the parashiyot, the the, uh, chapters that we read every Shabbat in Shul, is always based on the first word, generally, of the the first verse. So the first verse here starts with the word Vayechi, which means, and he lived, and therefore it is called the Parsha of Vayechi. So let's not waste too much time. Let's get started. Vayechi Yaakov, Be'eretz Mitzrayim. And Yaakov lived in the land of Egypt, Sheva Esra um, Shana, he lived for 17 years. Vayihi Yeme Yaakov, and all the days of Yaakov was Shnei Chayav, <clears throat> the years of his life, Sheva Shanim Ve'arbaim Ume'at Shana, 147 years old. This is where uh, Yaakov realizes that he is about to pass on, and it's time for him to say goodbye uh, to his family. But let's contemplate a little bit everything that we've spoken until now, because really what we, we have said, and I'm just going to say it again as, as just as a review, you know, you, you can see that Yaakov had trouble all his life. First, we know Asaph wanted to kill him. And then when he was f- uh, fleeing to Padana Ram, um, on instruction of his mother, Eliphaz, who was Asaph's son, intercepted him. He took all his possessions. He left him virtually naked and without food. He didn't even have a pillow, 
upon which to lay his head. And then we know he went to live with Lavan, where he served as a shepherd for 20 years. Um, we know that it was pretty unbearable. It said that he worked through the heat of the day and the frost of the night. And then during these years, he even went without sleep. And his um, his, uh, his 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 father-in-law, Lavan, okay, was very unappreciative. And aside from cheating him by su substituting Rachel, Lavan also tricked Yaakov many other times, always changing uh, the conditions of his employment. And then no sooner did Yaakov make the decision to go home, Asaph comes with him with hundreds of troops to kill him. And when he's alone in the field of light, we know that Asaph's guardian angel came and he wrestled with Yaakov until dawn, from night until dawn, and he, he got struck in his hip, and that dislocated his hip. And then we have the whole disaster with Dina in Shechem, after which a number of the kings had formed an alliance to wage war with him. And no sooner did he feel that he had survived all these troubles, what happened? He was confronted with the disappearance of Joseph. His favorite son vanished. He didn't know if he was alive or dead. And he then spends the next 22 years mourning uh, for Yosef. And during that time, it said that anybody who saw Yaakov would hear him weep. Um, and they would start trembling from the sorrow that exuded from, from Yaakov. Then we know he's then a famine hit uh, the land of Canaan and Egypt but they were in a very compromised economic situation. He sends his sons to Egypt to buy grain during the famine. Um, he had twice as much grief. Why? Because Shimon, first time they came back, Shimon is held hostage. And the second time he is compelled to send Benjamin. So you can just imagine this guy had no, no peace in his life. He was fighting wars all the time. But now the Torah says the following, Vayechi Yaakov Be'eretz Mitzrayim. Yaakov lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. He lived. He actually lived. What is the Torah coming to teach us? That during these 17 years in Egypt, Yaakov truly lived. He lived happily. He lived content. Okay, because the years prior to that were not considered years of life. Now, we also know that when Joseph, Yosef, was taken from his father, how old was he? Well, you can look back at chapter 37, verse 2. He was 17 years old. Now, during all these years Yosef was gone, we know that Yaakov mourned bitterly. And as long, why? Because as long as Yaakov could, was able to look upon Yosef's face, he was always consoled and he was reminded about the premature loss of his favorite wife, Rachel, because we're told that Joseph, Yosef, looked very, very similar. He resembled Rachel very strongly. So he would look at Yosef, he would forget his loss, um, as if it never happened. But then Yosef vanishes. Yaakov, again, so to speak, suffers a, a, a double loss. Why? He grieves more than before for all the troubles he suffered, because now Yosef is also gone. Yosef was some type of consolation for him. So what does God do? Because Yosef left him at 17 years old, God makes it up to him and allows Yaakov to enjoy 17 happy years in Egypt.
The Torah also tells us that God rewards every individual for the good that he does. Now, Yaakov supported Yosef for 17 years. Feeding, and by the way, just feeding one's minors is considered charity. So therefore, uh, Yaakov was worthy that Joseph would support him in dignity for 17 years. So you can see again, and we say it over and over again, there is midah, connected midah. There's measure for measure in everything that we do, and nothing insignificant is not taken into account. It's not only the big stuff, but everything is taken into account. And that's why the, the verse goes, it says, Yaakov lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. Okay? Um, it would have been redundant because we know in the previous verses, the Torah said he came to Egypt when he was 130. If he dies now at 147, you don't need to be a great mathematician to work out that he lived 17 years. Why does the Torah state that he lived in Egypt for 17 years? To teach us that Yaakov was supported in dignity by Yosef during these 17 years and to teach each and every one of us the midah connected midah, measure for measure. Every single thing you do in life has a consequence. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. If you've just joined us now, we are learning Genesis Parshas Vayechi, and we just went through the first verse, which teaches us that eventually, at the end of life, Yaakov, in fact, has some measure of peace, quiet, dignity, and nachas from, from, from all his children. Now let's look at verse 29 and 30. V'yikravu yemei Yisrael lamut, the days grew near for Israel, for Yaakov to die. Vayikra livno le Yosef, he calls for his son, Yosef. Vayomerloi, and he says to him, Im namatati chen be'enecha, if I have found favor in your eyes. Simna yatcha tachas yirechi, place your hand under my thigh. Now, what he's going to be doing is he's going to be expecting Yosef to swear to him. Now, in the olden days, this is how they used to swear. The early holy thing was the circumcision um, on men. And so, symbolically, placing your hand under the thigh would allow him to be bound by his oath. And he says the following. Asita imadi chesed ve'emet. Please do for me a kindness and a truthfulness, some, a, a, a true kindness. Alna tikbereni b'mitzrayim. Please do not bury me in Mitzrayim. V'shachafti im avotai. Let me rather lie with my forefathers. Unasatani b'mitzrayim. Please carry me out of Egypt. Ukar uk var tani bikburatam. And let me be buried in their grave. And Yosef replies, I will do as you say. There is so much to learn over here. Okay, We know that when it comes to tzaddikim, tzaddikim are more interested in the world to come 
that their days in this world are not considered significant. And when they are knowing that they are going to move from one world to the other, they want to make sure that th this, this transition will work uh, well. And you will see then amongst all the tzaddikim, most tzaddikim will mention their death verbally. Okay, because they, will, they, they are preparing themselves. They don't fear death. They know that this world is just a corridor, that we're here for a limited amount of time, and then we move on to the next world. And so they will land up speaking about it. Now, just as an interesting um, thing, it says here, the days grew near for Israel to die. Why? Because Yaakov didn't live as long as his fathers. If you go back in, in Chumash, you'll see that Abraham lived for 175 years and Yitzchak lived for 180. Yaakov only lived, I'm using the word only, <laughs> lived for 147 years. And remember that years of his life, we spoke about it last week, were taken off because he complained to Paro about the bitterness of his life. Now, um, what was happening right this very moment is not that he was about to die, but he could feel that his strength was, was, was failing him. And he says to Yosef, please can you do me a chesed shal emes, a, kind, a true kindness, chesed ve emes. Now, just to for for uh, for for um, us listeners to understand, the truest kindness that one can do for another human being on this planet, the truest kind, is to help that person get buried according to the laws of the Torah. Why is it called the truest? Because you're not going to get a thank you for it. Yes, you could argue that you could give charity, you know, secretly, and it could be at some point in time something will come around and, 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 and they will come and say thank you to you. But the truest kind kindness is when you do something for another person and they cannot say thank you, or the family cannot say thank you, or the community cannot say thank you, or somebody along the line will know that, that, that you've done this kindness. And so burying a fellow Jew is called chesed shal emet, a true kindness, because there is nobody that is going to go and say, well done, thank you, that was awfully kind of you to do. And so it's a, it's a very big responsibility and a very important one and something that is taken very, very seriously, particularly um, uh, from, from the Hebrew Kaddishas, the, the, the holy societies around the world, that ensure that every single Jewish person gets a dignified and um, kosher burial. Now, uh, this is what he says, Yaakov, to Yosef. I want you to do that chesed shal emet. I want you to do that true kindness. I'm not going to be here to say thank you. And it's going to be a big spiel. We're all sitting down in Egypt. It means you have to leave and you have to travel all the way back to the land of Canaan, all the way to the city of Hebron, to the Marat Machpelah. And I want you to bury me there. Now, Yaakov knew, interestingly, that uh, one of the plagues, one of the ten plagues, 
was that all the grains of the soil in Egypt would be changed into lice. And he was very concerned that if he would not be buried deeply or that he would be buried in a cave, he would suffer greatly when the sand of the land of Egypt would change into lice. Also, he didn't, so that was one reason why he wanted to be buried in the land of Israel. And we are going to talk about, um, talk about it more soon. Um, another reason why he didn't want to be buried in the land of Egypt was because he was afraid that the Egyptians would make him into a god. Now, again, this was from last week. If you remember that when Yaakov came to and presented himself before Paro, he blessed him. And in the merit of blessing him, that seven-year famine shortened to two years. Okay, because the famine ended, therefore, as soon as he came. So uh, he didn't want them to start eulogizing him and making him into, her go in, in, into a god. And he also said to, 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 to uh, Yosef, if you look very, very carefully, he says, Unnesatani mi Mitzrayim, carry me out of Mitzrayim. Why carry? Because he says, carry me just as I am. You must take my entire body. I don't want to wait until my flesh decays and you bring back, bring my bones. I want you to carry my entire body to my father's tomb in Marat HaMachpelah. Yosef, being Yaakov's son, didn't, didn't consider it proper to place his hand under his father's thigh. He was too embarrassed. So he replied to him, Anoichi e'ese kidvarecha. I will do as you ask. Okay, I don't have to swear. I don't, you, don't, you don't have to coerce me. I will do as you asked. But Yaakov insists. Look at verse 31. By Yomer, Hashavali, swear to me. Like he wanted this like stuck in concrete. Not that he was not thinking that Yosef would not fulfill it, but nevertheless, he said, swear to me. So Yosef swore to him, and Yaakov prostrated himself at the head of his bed. Of, of, of his bed. Now there's a few other things that we need to understand. What does it mean that he prostrated himself towards the head of his bed? Well, listen to this. This is pretty, pretty interesting. The Midrash tells us that he turned towards the divine presence. And we know where does the divine presence rest? It rests at the head of a sick, sick person. Now, he had started feeling really ill. He started feeling that he was about to move on. So he turned towards the head of the bed because that's where the Shekhinah was resting. And what did he do there when it meant that he turned his head towards the head of the bed? It was that he started giving thanks and praise to God um, because he actually attained something unbelievable despite all his challenges. What did he attain? He attained that all his offspring were perfect. There was none that were unworthy. Let's look back. Okay. Abraham had Yishmael. Yitzchak 
had Asaph. And when Yosef disappeared, he was particularly concerned about him because he had been slaved by idolaters and he was a ruler of Egypt. And you remember when he comes to see Yosef, he says, let me look upon your face. Now I can die once I've looked upon your face. Because remember we said he knew the magic of understanding a person's being by looking at their face. And he could see that Yosef remained as good and as virtuous as ever. So that's what, when it means that he turned his head towards the, the, the head of the bed, he was praying to Hashem and thanking Hashem that in fact the one thing that he managed to do that his forefathers didn't do was that he had completely righteous children. There was no thorn in the side. Now, there is another, and I spoke about it with Abraham and with Yitzchak, and I'm going to repeat it again with Yaakov. Yaakov prayed that people should not die suddenly, but that they should be ill for several days so that they would be able to put their affairs in order, they'd be able to repent from all their sins. Because until that time, when a person had to die, they just died suddenly without warning. Now, it's not that it doesn't happen today. We do have these um, odd occasions when, when people pass away suddenly, but most times, we have that which was prayed by Yaakov, that there should be suffering and there should be illness before one passed away. Why did I mention it with Abraham and Yitzhak? Because for those who didn't uh, follow or haven't heard, we said that Abraham didn't age. And he went and said to God, this doesn't differentiate between the old and the young. And um, a person needs a sign to know that he's about to pass on. And so... What happened was that Abraham started aging. So you could see, I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting closer to my day of death. Yitzchak went and said to God, it's not just good enough for people to age so that they know that they're getting closer to death than before, but that you should have some type of suffering before so that you'll know to prepare uh, for, for your death. And so what happened with Yitzchak, he became blind before before he died. Yaakov went and said to God, that, that's not good enough. Let us rather suffer throughout our lifetimes in, in, in small pockets of suffering so that we don't have a stack of not great things stacked up against us when we're about to pass on. And so what do we see with Yaakov? That Yaakov suffered his entire life. And now he is having what... Uh, Yitzhak, um, what Yitzhak uh, uh, promised, and that was that he has some suffering just before he died. So that is why he prostrates himself and he thanks God for listening to him and making him again now, so to speak, the head of all the people who will take to the bed before illness. Now, one other question that we can ask over here is, you could ask, why did Yaakov give instructions to Yosef rather than his firstborn Yehuda or to, 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 to Ruven, his firstborn Ruven, or to Yehuda, who was, you know, um, really the head in terms of the brothers? Why did he ask Yosef? And the answer is that uh, Yosef was the only one who would have the power to fulfill his request. Why? 
because he was a ruler in Egypt. It could it could have been that if he passed away and Reuben or Yehuda went to ask, um, Paro might not have granted permission. Okay. Um, also, um, Yaakov was concerned that Esau's sons might come and claim the Machpelah cave and not allow uh, Yaakov to be buried in. But if Yosef brought him there, um, they would not dare to even do that because he was an Egyptian ruler. And um, Yosef, remember, was Esau's ne nemesis. Do you remember the early time that Yaakov decided to go back to, to Israel was when Yosef was born, because Yosef had the spiritual power to conquer Esau. So for all of these um, reasons, they he asked Yosef to promise him that he would take him to the land to 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 the land of Israel. Now, I want to go through uh, a discussion about burial. Um, it is a very difficult time for those that are left behind. Um, a lot of people do not appreciate the the absolute sensitivity with which Torah handles the burial um, of, of, of a Jewish person. And I want to specifically focus on today the question of what is the significance of being buried in the land of Israel. Even today, there are, there are times that you will see um, on the Hebrew Kedisha list that so-and-so passed away and they are going to be buried in the land of Israel. Now, there's six reasons for that, and uh, I'm happy to answer any of your questions if I can, any of your comments. If you do have them, 34519 is our SMS line, 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. So let's go through the six reasons of the advantage of being buried in the land of Israel, and we'll understand other things about burial per se. The first reason that the Midrash gives, the Ma'am Loez gives, it says that obviously we know when a person dies, his soul leaves the body. Now, where does the soul go to? Well, if the death occurs in the land of Israel, it says that the Neshama, the soul, will ascend directly to heaven. And how does it go directly to heaven? Well, since it's in the land of Israel, it says that the, the store where souls are kept, there's like an abode of souls. Where is it found? It's found, we are told in Kabbalah, under Kisei HaKavod, under God's throne of glory. And where is God's throne, th throne of glory, you may ask? Well, it's in direct spiritual proximity to the land of Israel. We also, by the way, know that the Beit HaMikdash, the holy temple, on, uh, on high is also in direct proximity to the place where the temple in Jerusalem stood on earth. That is why, P.S., just by and by, why Jerusalem has been a place that has always been in history, has always had conquerors, always being fought over, because in the spiritual consciousness of the world, Jerusalem is a place that everybody senses, has an extra measure of of, uh, of, of spirituality. So the Kisar Kavod it hovers over the land of, Is uh, land of Israel 
And um, if somebody dies in the land of Israel, they immediately ascend um, into into the, the, the world of souls. Now, we also know that during the first 12 months after a person's death, the soul descends to its grave every Shabbat and Rosh Chodesh to visit the corpse of the body which it was previously associated with. And therefore, we can deduce that if a person is buried in the land of Israel, the soul can descend and ascend through a direct route, um, meaning without any delay, as opposed to somebody who dies outside the land of Israel. There the soul would have more difficulty in ascending to heaven. And we are told that it has to go around in a roundabout ways and it has to pass through um, what we call mekatrigin, like powers that denounce him and um, that, that come from, from a, a negative side. And I, I guess the best way to explain it, it is as if a soul, uh, the soul... If the, if the soul was a person, it would be like as if he found himself in the midst of an army and there were tens of thousands of armed warriors and he has to like have a lot of anguish to try and get through all of them. So that is why people like to be buried in the land of um, Israel, because the ascent, descent, ascent, descent is a far calmer one than if one is buried outside the land of Israel. There are many, many more, and we'll be back soon. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM. 101.9 megahertz of life. Just one more point on the first reason why we should uh, be buried in the land of Israel. It says, one who is worthy of dying in the Holy Land has great merit, for immediately after death the soul goes straight to Marata Machpelah. Now you'll know why Yaakov was so um, like stuck onto that. Um, he went to Marata Machpelah, um, and if you, anybody who's gone there in Hebron will say, this is the gate, this is the door of the opening into Gan Eden. Okay, so that is why it is, a, it is a greater merit to be buried in the land of Israel than outside the land of Israel. Now, here's another interesting fact, fact number two, that when people die outside the Holy Land, they die by the hand of the Malachamavet, by the angel of death. That is how um, your soul is taken away. When a person dies in the Holy Land, on the other hand, he dies through the hands of the, of the angel Gavriel, who is a merciful angel. The only exceptions to, to three people who died outside the land of Israel, but did not die by the hand of the Malachamavet, there were three individuals, Moshe, Miriam, and Aaron, the two brothers and sister. They were not given to the Malachamavet to to do that job. They rather they 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 also died by the hand of Gabriel. So that's the second reason why it is meritorious to even die in the land of Israel, never mind be buried there. Now, the other thing that I'm sure most of you know, and this is the third reason, that if a person dies in the land of Israel, we know that you have to be buried on the same day um, that you die before nightfall. Um, many times you will see a, a funeral happening into into the hours of, 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 of night. Why? Because they don't want any unclean force to have power over him. When we bury outside the land of, of, Israel, of Israel, unfortunately, there are unclean forces. And that is why 
the Hebra Kadesha will promote and will push families to bury their departed as soon as possible. The soul feels agitated, there are unclean powers hanging around, and they want that, uh, that, that, that they bring the body to burial as soon as possible so that um, they can mitigate this type of thing. But if you're in the land of Israel, then you will be buried immediately on the day of your passing, with a very rare exception. The fourth reason is that um, there is this idea, which is quite uh, scary, it's called chibut hakever, the agony of the grave. It is a very painful situation that the soul and the body go through, Okay, when a person dies outside the Holy Land, he has no way to escape his fate. But we're told if he is in the Holy Land and he's buried on a Friday after the fourth hour of the day, that's about after about 10 o'clock in the morning, he avoids this anguish. So first of all, a first sign of a person being very righteous is that he will die on a Friday. Okay, um, and uh, that that will stop him from suffering chibud hakever. Uh, you guys might be a little bit nervous and uh, understandably so about this concept, but our sages taught us that there are a number of good habits that can protect a person from this from this uh, agony of the grave. What are they? Well, giving charity is one, accepting rebuke for things that you've done wrong, um, bringing in guests. Um, davening with kavana means praying with concentration, not talking in, 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 in the shul. And th all of these are to be done with a full heart, right? That you do it with all your heart and your soul. And you might go and say, well, I don't have the opportunity. Well, in order to stay away from chibura kever, it's not enough to do such things when you have the opportunity, but you must make an effort to create opportunity. So... Um, that is very, very important. And look, overall, one needs to be virtuous and be a, a doer of good deeds. Let's go on to the fifth one. The fifth one is that when a person is buried outside the land of Israel, his flesh decays and becomes full of maggots. Um, our sages say, a worm in the flesh of the dead is like a needle in the flesh of the living. The soil in the Holy Land, we are told, is made of lime, and therefore one's flesh will not become full of maggots. So here's another motivation why you should be buried in the land of Israel. And finally, and here's really quite an um, extraordinary concept, which I'm only going to manage to squash into a couple of minutes, but really, in truth, it deserves uh, a lot more than what I'm going to tell you. But outside, it says outside the, the, the Israel, a person dies twice. Now, why is that? Well, we know that we're all praying for the period of Mashiach, of the Messiah, because that will herald the world into a, um, a place of peace, of harmony, of health, of blessing, of all the good things that we know in life. No more wars, no more illness, no more strife, no, no more struggles. But there is a second stage to the arrival of Mashiach, and that we call Tchiat Hametim, the resurrection of the dead. Now, just for 
just to put it out there, we believe in resurrection of the dead at the arrival of Mashiach. We also believe in reincarnation of the soul. They two separate concepts. Reincarnation of the souls mean that your soul comes back again and again, like cycles through various lives. Resurrection of the dead means that you'll be brought back to, to, to life. Now, at the time of the resurrection of the dead and resurrection of the dead, just by and by, just to mention, can only and will only happen at the time of Mashiach. We cannot and do not believe there has been a resurrection of the dead yet. So, at the time of the resurrection, we are told through the prophet Yechezkel that God will personally open up the graves. It won't be done by an angel. And the dead will be brought back to life. Now, this will happen only in the land of Israel, which is considered holy. It doesn't mean that people outside the Holy Land will not be resurrected, because we know there are actually great tzaddikim, there are holy people that will um, that are buried in places outside the land of Israel. But it's going to take a longer process. <clears throat> How does that process work? Well, we are told that we've got a bone at the back of our neck. It's called the luz bone. It's at the base of our neck. And we are told that this bone is the only bone that will not decay in the ground. We spoke about it a long time ago in Parashat Bereshit. And it says this bone is like the yeast in a batch of dough. From it, the body will be reconstructed. But the soul cannot be returned to the body except in the Holy Land. So what has to happen here outside the Holy Land is that the bodies have to first be reconstructed. Then God is going to provide underground passages through which they could be transported to the Holy Land. And until they reach the land of Israel, they will remain bodies without souls. And only when we arrive there will God give them the souls so that they can come to life. This is what it says in Isaiah. God gives a soul to the people in the land meaning God will only provide a soul for the resurrected dead when they are in the holy land. So that is of vital importance. A few more, few more tidbits, but we're going to go for a short break. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, just to finish up, so we've worked out that people buried in the land of Israel will be resurrected before those buried elsewhere. There is a tradition that people buried in the land of Israel will be resurrected 40 years before the dead buried elsewhere. That That is very, very important. And then um, just to let you know that in the Zohar, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai teaches that at the time of the resurrection, the dead will be brought to life in which place? In Tzfat. Anybody who's been to Tzfat. Why? It says because that is the place where Mashiach will first appear. And from there they will all go to Jerusalem where they will be taught the mysteries of the Torah. And in this respect we understand therefore that Tzfat has an advantage over the rest of the Holy Land. Um, and anybody who's been to Tzfat will always know that the air there is much clearer. The air is much purer. What do we do now as a custom, and I'm going to end with this, because as I said, I can talk on more and more about it. It is a good custom, and it is a custom done by the Hebrew Kaddisha um, around the world, to take a small amount of earth from the Holy Land 
and to place it on the eyes of the deceased or on his grave if he died outside the land of Israel, so that we remain connected somewhat to this entire process. And with that, I have to conclude, sadly, but I hope you found that fascinating. And if you have any questions or comments, you can let me know um, at info at highfm.com. Otherwise, you can stay tuned because we'll have another exciting chapter next week. Meantime, be well and Shavuot Tov.